0: I would almost say it's the only way i can i can tell the story if i if i really immerse myself in in it and always there's always limitations of course in in how long i can go to a place but when i'm there i always try to really get get to know the people and 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 um, because i have this responsibility to tell their story Mm -hmm. and uh I feel this, this responsibility to, to try to tell the story in the, in the most uh, profound and, and uh, uh, honest way I can.
1: That was documentary photographer Yahun Toykens. Yahun is a documentary photographer based out of The Hague in the Netherlands. He mainly works on long-term projects that can take years to complete. His most recent project, Borealis, took six years to complete. It's a book that documents the Boreal Forest and the people who live in it. To accurately tell the story of the Boreal Forest, which is the largest land-based vegetation zone and makes up around 29% of the total forested area on Earth, he and his co-author immerse themselves in the culture and in the environment. In pursuing a project, Yahoon feels that it's his responsibility to tell a story in the most accurate way he can. This involves patience and experience, and letting the story tell itself, rather than molding it into a narrative of your own. So here he is, Yahoon Toykins. Welcome to Chattermarks, a podcast of the Anchorage Museum dedicated to exploring Alaska's identity through the creative and critical thinking of ideas, past, past present, and future. and future. My name is Cody Liska, and I'll be your host. You studied photography at the Royal Academy of Art in The Hague, right?
0: Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I studied there. I started uh, there in uh, 1990, so a long time ago. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and um, I was originally um, from the south of uh, the Netherlands, which is, as you know, a very small country. Uh, and I travelled to uh, I I moved to the Hague to study uh, photography here at uh, at the academy, and then uh, I stayed living here in the in the Hague, which is a, a city by the sea. So that's that's nice. And um, uh, yeah, so um, I finished in '95. So uh, we had uh, last year I was my 25th jubilee as a as a uh, professional photographer.
1: 25th anniversary of you being a professional photographer
0: yeah when i think about it it's such a long time but it went on very quickly so yeah just don't don't think about it too much and uh, just go on i think
1: <laughs> did you ever think that you would make it 25 years in photography yeah that's a very good question um
0: yeah it's a, so so strange to, to to, to realize that, that I've been a photographer for already 25 years. I when I think back on my on my um, time at uh, at the academy, I I I must say I, I'm I'm really doing now what I was always hoping to be doing mm-hmm. as a photographer. So it has been uh, incredible the past 20 25 years for me to be able to to do this kind of work. So. It's difficult to say how I thought about it when I was doing, uh, when I was when I was on the academy. But I, w- I was pretty sure. Uh, I think in the in the when I was doing my second year that w- that I would wanted to become a, a documentary photographer. And so I'm I'm really happy and and also I think, yeah, fortunate that I, that I was able to make a. a to make my living out of this, this kind of work and being able to travel for my work and, and doing all these, going to all these incredible places and meeting these incredible people, which I have met for the, the past, say 20 years. So
1: mm-hmm. yeah. Do you think your expectations changed at all between when you started at the academy and when you left?
0: Um, yeah, for sure. Yeah, because when I was doing the academy, it, it of course, the academy has changed uh, a lot. I think, like all art academies, and, and they evolve, of course, in in, in years. And it, w- it was really good education, I think, and we really were, were pressed and, and to do to, to get the best out of out of our work. And of course, it wasn't easy, but uh, when you become professional, you you realize that. It is not easy to be a professional artist or professional photographer. So you really need to to get this this base of good education and 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 good feedback and and also like sometimes harsh feedback on your work mm-hmm. to be able to to uh, really think about what what you're doing and especially why why you are making this work and why it's important and that's all these things I I, I really learned at at the at at school at the academy and. Yeah, I'm. I'm. I'm really grateful for this, that I had the opportunity to to work with these teachers whom I maybe didn't always appreciate it uh, when I was uh, working with them. But <laughs> now, on hindsight, I can say that I really learned a lot uh, from from uh, uh, from these people who were really experienced and and also taught me things which uh, until now I, I I sometimes use in my work. So. It was the first thing I did when I when I finished, like, um, uh, yeah, high school in in Holland, we have a different system, but it was my first higher education. uh, So and then after this education, I became a professional photographer almost immediately, so I didn't have like. A different uh, education before, or came from uh, a job or something. I I, I came from 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 uh, from uh, 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 yeah, it's not a high school, but the system in, in the Netherlands. And then I went to the academy, and after the academy, I became a professional photographer. So it's yeah. So it, I think it's it's uh, as when I look at my at my friends and and and, and colleagues who did who did started the same time as I did then. Uh, still a lot of them became photographers but also a lot of them eventually worked doing completely different jobs and and are also happy with this so yeah it's it's just a lot of choices you have to make in your <laughs> in your lifetime and yeah anyway when i look back I'm, I'm i'm really happy with with the way it worked out for me until now
1: do you remember some of that harsh feedback that maybe was constructive back at the academy
0: yeah i think <clears throat> the thing i really had to with which i had the most trouble was that i'm i'm a very i i, I like to socialize and, and and get acquainted with 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 people and 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 uh, uh i'm kind of a social social guy i think and i think that's an important aspect of my work really like being interested in people interested in have a genuine interest in people and also uh, um, want to make like a, a a real connection to people and that's one thing I'm still using but what I really had to learn is when I then start taking pictures of these people that I have to have to take a step back to look at what I'm actually photographing and that was maybe the, the hardest lesson for me to to just go with the moment and really experience the moment mm-hmm. in, in full, but also try to, to take a step back out of the situation and, and look at it from from a different perspective. Because the people you show your photographs don't hear the things you hear, they don't smell the things you smell, they don't experience the things you experience. You, you, also, you, you have to tell all this information in your photograph. And to do, to do so, you need also need a kind of distance. So that was, I think the, the, the thing I had the most trouble with, and, and that's what I learned with feedback from my, from my teachers that you really need to, to look at what, what you're photographing and does it, does it tell the story you want to tell mm-hmm. and look at it from, from a little distance when you're working, but also afterwards when you're editing. So there's all these choices in the process you have to make and all these choices, choices, they, they, all these points, they have, they have, a a, a special importance in, in the, the, the work you're actually making. So what I really needed needed to learn was to also have this distance to the subjects. So combine this genuine interest with also sometimes taking a step back out of the situation and trying to look at it from an
1: outsider. When do you think you were able to gain that that distance that made your photography translate better?
0: Um, yeah, I think for my for my
1: graduation uh, project,
0: I did a I did a story about uh, pilgrimage in Europe. Mm-hmm. People going on pilgrimage um, in the south of France. There's Lourdes. There's this this big pilgrimage. People go there from all over Europe, and uh, I did a story about this and. I think in 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 my graduation project, I I learned to also take take this this distance and try to tell the story with with the personal approach, but also telling the story with with a certain distance, so that people who don't know anything about the subject can also relate to the photograph. Mm-hmm. But that was uh, that was something I really had to learn, and even even now, I uh, it's it's something. Yeah, it's it's like a balance you need between. Uh, relating to people and, and and really going into the story, which which I really like, because I have this genuine interest to tell the story and and to hear from the people I photograph and to, um, but especially also in the editing process afterwards, that's also an important moment to realise. And also I have learned that sometimes, because mainly I work on very long-term projects, and um, of course, I know what <laughs> what the project is about. I know what I'm going to do, but even then, sometimes it takes a couple of years before I before you really realize what you what you what the story was you were actually actually telling.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: It's not always the same as when you started because you you start with an idea and then and then the, you, you start working on this idea and you start traveling and meeting people and and, and making separate uh, uh, body of work and then in the editing process you you really need to define again what is the story because sometimes it's a slightly different story than what you think you were making or you thought you were making and that's that's always one of the most interesting parts of the work i think and also uh, it also depends on the medium the media you you are working for if it's for a newspaper publication or if it is for a book or for an exhibition it's always a different way of telling the story
1: mm-hmm. yeah that's interesting that you will pursue a project initially and it will have a different meaning after everything is said and done
0: yeah exactly and, and that and that's also something I, I, uh, I have learned in, in, in recent years, also with working on the projects I finished now, the Borealis project, that what it was really about, I, I, I learned when I was doing the final editing of the book and working together with, with, with my editor, with Mark Proust, whom, whom I, I worked together very closely, and we really had these sessions looking at the work, uh, looking at the, the things I've I, I written about it and together with, with my companion, uh, Jelle Brandt Kosjes, who is the writer, mm-hmm. looking at the story, looking at the different subjects and then distillating from, from all these, these different aspects, what the bigger story is. And that's, um, I think that, that really is a very interesting part in, in, in doing these long term projects. You, 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 and it's also something you need to, to take a distance from and also, um, you need to let the story tell itself in a way, mm-hmm. sometimes it's a long process, but that's a very interesting part of of the work I do. I
1: think. Yeah, that's great. I really like that. You need to let the story tell itself. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Can you tell me about the Borealis project?
0: Uh, yes. <clears throat> um... It's a project uh, I, I I worked on together with uh, uh, my companion uh, Jellebrand Kostjes, who is a Dutch uh, journalist, uh, writer, and uh, also a TV uh, uh, presenter. Pre- uh, he presents uh, TV shows, and we had been working uh, on my previous project uh, together as well, uh, uh, which was a project about nomadic and indigenous people, uh, mainly in the north, and. Um, we did a couple of trips together for this project, for for that project, and then after that was finished, we, after a while, we started thinking about doing a new project together, and then we came to uh, a combined fascination for uh, forests. Um, because for, um, for this uh, nomad project, we traveled a lot also to, to Alaska and to Russia. And we've been into the Tyke a lot, into the boreal zone. Mm-hmm. So we thought, what about this, this huge strip of forest in the north, which of course is, is very well known to the people who live there. Mm-hmm. Like people in Alaska and people in Canada and people in Russia, they, they, of course, they know about the, this, this huge forest and the taiga, but the place where I live in, in, uh, in the Netherlands and, uh, it, it's an area which is fairly, uh, unknown and it's the biggest, uh, vegetation zone on earth. And it's also a very important vegetation zone when it comes to, to carbon storage. so we thought wouldn't it be nice to, to to tell the story of this huge northern forest and uh, to tell this big story through eight chapters in which every chapter tells a separate story in itself a separate story about one aspect of the forest uh, could be uh, climate change of course which is a big factor in the in in especially also in the north Mm -hmm. uh, but also uh, scientific research we went to the north of japan to make a story about scientists doing um, uh, doing research in in the in the forest Um, we made a story about uh, the huge uh, uh, forest fires in in siberia so and we 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 took this this area as a starting point whereas in nomad the starting point or the, 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 the story ha- had always been about the people, indigenous people living in, in the north, but also in Mongolia and Asia. Uh, it was a bigger story about how these people migrated over the earth and ended up in, in different places and, and, and how they lived in these specific places. But the Borealis project is really uh, with the specific place as a subject and then tell the story of this, this area, this huge, Uh, vegetation zone through the people who, who live there. So yeah, so tell the, this, 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 the, the bigger story through these eight chapters in which every chapter tells a part of the, of the bigger story.
1: What do you think forests can teach us about human behavior and climate change?
0: Yeah, I think, uh, forests can, can teach us a lot about uh, uh, sustainability about not looking at at short term but looking at long term if you if you look at forests or at trees the the lifespan of a tree is it's it, it, it's such a, a different way in looking at at changes compared to to us human beings trees can can grow up uh, from from 200 to 300 to even 900 to even thousands of years old, and if you if you think about that, really think about it, then it's amazing that these these um, living organisms, even what they have witnessed mm-hmm. in 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 their life. Of course, they yeah, you you don't really need to relate like like uh, to a tree, but it's um, I really learned working on this project that that and and I must say I I learned that especially in the last chapter which we were in in Alaska in the, in the Kenai Peninsula we, we, we stayed there in a cabin for uh, for 10 days and that was really the last chapter was also for us uh, to reflect on what we had done and and and, and we were in, in a way ourselves the subjects so I didn't have another subject that there was no because the, the, the previous chapters were as I explained before about forest fires or about uh, for instance Gennady who has been living in the forest for all his life so I always had a subject outside of myself but in this last chapter I was in a way myself the, the, the chapter so I really had to reflect on what it is to, to be in this forest and also There, I learned that it's also about beauty. Um, uh, Of course, there's there's so many reasons why these these trees and these forests are important. Like there's the the, the production of woods, which is a sustainable uh, way of of building, for instance. And um, there's also the the history of the forest, Uh, but there's also just the beauty of the place. And Mm -hmm. also still, because I live in Holland, which is a really, small and tiny country and we don't have really any actual nature in in our country all the nature we have is is constructed the whole country is constructed and that that's good I think we did we did a good good job in protecting our country (laughs) from the sea yeah but sometimes you you miss like yeah what you have in the States you have these huge uh, uh, national parks where where you can still roam and, and 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 be away from people for 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 several days and and that's that's part of the story i want to tell i want to tell people just also respect the forest for for uh, just for what it is uh and there's a there's a, a dutch uh, f- uh, philosopher who, who who explains it really well when he talks about a tree and the different values this tree has for different people and he, he ends his, his story about trees with can can the tree just be itself and that's 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 something i i when i i have i have learned to appreciate the forest for just being what it is mm-hmm. and next to all of that of course we have the huge importance of the forest in carbon storage and in climate and 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 uh, of course in in uh, regulating uh, uh, humidity, all these these things are all very important. But it's also just just the beauty of being in a place and 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 getting lost. And for instance, getting lost in Holland, it's almost impossible. There's always a a path or a road or uh, somebody. Yeah. But in Al- in Alaska and in Russia, you can you can really get lost for a while if if you want and. That's, yeah, for someone from Holland, that's 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 also a, a thing we can maybe appreciate more because we, we are not used to it, if you understand what I mean.
1: Yeah. So the cabin you stayed in in Alaska for 10 days, the Vogel Lake Cabin, yes. which is a historic cabin in the Kenai National Wildlife Refuge that was built in the 1940s. Can you describe the cabin and the surrounding area?
0: Yeah, it's it's a beautiful uh, uh, old uh, wooden cabin from the 1940s, uh, correct? And I remember that I saw photographs of it because I was I was doing research for the trip and eventually we uh, we we first wanted to travel to another cabin also at the Kenai. but um, there was a big forest fire going on and um, uh, it was still going on when we fought, the, 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 yeah, as you know, of course, there were huge fires last year. and uh, No, not last year, in 2019, sorry. And um, so we had to change plans and then I saw this, this the, the photographs. And what I first noticed on the cabin was the, the, the big glass windows. It has uh, uh, two rooms. And uh, one room it's it's the back room where the where the bunks are the beds and there's a stove and then you have the front room which is the place where you can cook your dinners and uh, it has huge glass windows and all of these windows they 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 look at the surrounding area so when you're inside the cabin you're also sort of outside and that's what I what I loved about the cabin but when I saw it on the photographs it's it's always different when you when you are actually there so we uh, uh, hired a, a float plane from uh, from anchorage and flew to um, to the vogel lake which is actually quite not so far from anchorage it's only a 15-20 minute flight and um, then we uh, we landed on the vogel lake and now even before we, we flew over the cabin and i was looking out of the window and i saw this this little wooden cabin uh, in the midst of th- of this huge forest and and all these small lakes surrounding the uh, inside inside this huge area, then we we landed and we we got our stuff out and the the pilot he left and then we were uh, alone there, which which was also <laughs> uh, yeah an important moment <laughs> uh, to yeah to be actually really uh, alone uh, not alone the two of us but anyway to be there on our own and and um, and then we did a first hike in the surrounding, and yeah, we realized that it was uh, very difficult terrain to, to go by. It was very damp, um, yeah, it was very mushy, and there was a lot of undergrowth, so. Um, it was really difficult terrain to 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 go and and wander about because I, I when I was over, um before we left I had a map and and I was I was doing some research and and thought oh we can walk to this other lake the south of Vogel Lake there was a lake which was called uh, uh, Tiger Lake or Lake Tiger or uh, I don't know exactly the name any anymore but it was like 15 kilometers walk south of Vogel Lake. Mm-hmm. And I thought, oh, okay, going to be a long day, but we can, uh, we can do that. We can try to go to this lake. But then we started walking in the, in this forest and it was, it was impossible. We, we did one hike. We wanted to hike to, uh, to the coast, which was only five kilometers. Uh, but we were walking for for hours and hours and then I looked uh, uh, at my GPS and my watch and I I saw and on the map and I saw we only had it was only a distance of three kilometers or four kilometers so it's there was uh, fallen trees everywhere because the because it was so uh, humid and so moist Uh, the trees uh, the roots of the trees don't get in very deep so a lot of Trees have fallen down, so we had to climb over trees and 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 uh, and and walk uh, through the forest. So it it was uh, one of the most amazing forests I I have ever been in. So such uh, because there there were no paths, paths, no 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 nothing, only only forest surrounding us, and 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 also. Uh, bears probably we didn't <laughs> <Yeah>. see them <laughs> luckily but we still uh yeah needed to make some noise so that the bears knew okay there's people we don't want to see them so mm-hmm. they stayed away Hopefully, uh, luckily but because we so, were so remote and only the two of us we, we we also need to think about that and be careful of course and and uh, uh, take care of of the food we used and um yeah so it was yeah, it was really a, a very intense uh, experience of of the forest, which was great. At the end of the project, to have this, yeah, to to contemplate, uh, like I explained before, uh, uh, and and also to to just make make pictures of of what I found in the surroundings of the cabin, uh, uh, because yeah, the, the we couldn't go out for 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 miles, so we, we only had like 500. Uh, meters to 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 go out and then uh, in this small circle around the cabin i i i, I tried to make work and 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 uh, that's what i eventually uh did and tried out different things but yeah so it it, it was really uh, uh amazing every time i think back on the, on this trip in this cabin i i i get like homesick to be there again and uh, uh, see the experience the forest forest again and and also the lake because every day we we looked out the window of the of the of the cabin and we saw the lake changing every hour it was different. Then there were clouds and then the the in the morning it was was totally purple from the from the rising sun and every day it was different and that's yeah. Because I'm I'm sort of a city guy so usually now I'm inside and today I was working inside all day so being outside for. Yeah, for 10 days almost that that's of course I, I had done it before but every time when i'm outside i really experience uh, and and appreciate also uh, uh the uh, the place
1: i i'm at mm-hmm. you know and maybe this comes from having grown up in alaska but for me being outside being in nature is this much needed like reset yeah you know if i'm in, in if i'm inside for too long i start to feel cagey you know i need to get outside i need to get fresh air i need to you know smell flowers and the trees and be out there
0: yeah yeah of course and 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 uh, i understand this so well because yeah uh, uh that's also the other people i met for this project but also for my nomad projects with the nomads of course are living outside all year and um all the people i met they are on one side uh like working in the forest using the forest using the wood but on the other side all these people i met i really love the forest in in a in a way which is almost difficult for me to explain because i i i wasn't raised in the forest I'm, I'm i'm from the city and the forest we have in holland are very small but still there are forests and you can also wander about but i yeah, always when I'm in Alaska or in Norway or in, I really appreciate people and I see all these people are really like outside and they love it. They love. They love. They love their own surroundings and that, that's that's also what I like when I go to Alaska. And of course, when you're in such a beautiful place, uh, what's not to like? <laughs> it's yeah, it's it's one of the places when I'm when I was in the plane and. Flew, flew over alaska i i fo- i felt sort of like like yeah it's maybe a bit pathetic but it's sort of like coming home or something it's really like you feel it in in all your body mm-hmm. and that's and that of course that's something what i what i explained earlier that's that's a feeling and it's not easy to photograph that or to you can talk about it of course but to, to translate that feeling into photographs that that's difficult and that's that's sort of what i tried in this last last chapter in alaska to 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 translate that feeling i had at that moment Mm -hmm. into the photograph i photographs i took over there
1: relationship like between you and the author Um, yeah we we
0: we, we've known each other for uh, uh, for a long time the first trip we did together was in 2005 and we did uh, uh, a lot of trips together to Russia um, uh, to Alaska to Canada so you, you really need to need to know each other really well to, to, to go to these remote places and sometimes also difficult places and and, and difficult ways of getting uh, to places and and, and you, you're also working together so you need to you need to know to know each other really really well uh, so that that's, that's the first thing which is important and when we work together uh, we, we make a plan together, we decide on the story we want to make but when we're actually working, at the spot we we do our own things so yellow writes, and I take pictures and at the end of the day we sometimes we discuss what we made or sometimes we don't but I don't interfere with 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 his work and he doesn't interfere with my work Mm -hmm. when we're on the spot we 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 do our our own thing of course we we communicate and we we talk about what we're going to do but it's really important for both of us that we can do our work uh, autonomously so both are and that's um what was important in the in the in the book that uh the story yellow road gets its 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 own place and has its own values and the story i made with my pictures um it doesn't necessarily tell the same the same story uh of we we made the same trips together We, we we went to the same places we 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 uh, relate to the subjects in in, in in similar ways, but we also have our own uh, thoughts about about things, and that's um, so to to achieve that when we're working, don't interfere with each other too much. Uh, otherwise yeah uh, it also sometimes annoys us when i say oh Yella, did you see that or (laughs) (laughs) or he says oh shouldn't you take a picture of this then i say yeah yeah but uh, sometimes it works but you need to you need to find a a balance in this in this uh, because for instance in uh, in russia when we were doing the story about uh, uh, the fires it was really a a difficult uh, trip because uh, we didn't get access um, the um, the organization we we had all the permits we were working on the story for for two years before but then then in 2019 um, the fires in summer they became world news mm-hmm. and Russia was criticized about how they handled the fires and it wasn't our uh, goal to to make like a critical story we just wanted to tell the story about this huge area and how difficult it is to fight the, these fires same as in alaska it's the, the areas are so big and there's no roads so h- how how do you fight these fires so mm-hmm. that's that's the story we wanted to make and we had all the permissions but then it became world news and russia was criticized and then they they didn't allow uh, us to 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 go to the places we wanted to go they actually said no there is no fire well we knew there were there were big fires in the area we were mm-hmm. next to lake baikal in Buryatia. Um and we knew there were fires in the north but they just said to us no there's no fires and then we had to, <laughs> we had to show them. You see, here there are fires. Yeah, yeah, there are fires, but we're not, hand- we're not doing anything there, so you cannot go. And then we had to, because we only were there for like ten days, so we had to decide on what to do then. Because, uh, <clears throat> and then we decided to just go north uh, with our uh, rental car and drive to the area where we knew the fires were, and then hopefully something would would come up. And uh, eventually, we ended up in the in the north of Baikal uh, at a place uh, at a at a small motel, and there was a helicopter in the in the front yard, and it was such a strange, like a Twin Peaks kind of setting with with a, a yeah, it was really like a, a very strange place, and then. We asked at the woman from the hotel, "Oh, what's the helicopter doing here?" Oh, that's uh, that's uh, the pilot. He's staying in the hotel as well, and uh, oh, I can I can call him. And, and then ten minutes later, we were drinking uh, tea with the pilot of the helicopter, <laughs> and uh, we decided not to tell that we were journalists or that we we w- we just wanted to to tell like a uh, like a, a global story that we were just interested in the forest and could he could he show us forest? Uh, with his helicopter and he said oh yes of course and and then finally we uh, we tried to to, to to raise the subject to the fires and actually he was he was uh, um, monitoring the fire the fires for the government so he, he knew exactly where the fires were and then uh, he said okay I can take you and then we had to pay him some money of course and then the next day we, we, we flew in this helicopter and he flew us over the over the area where the fires were and I could take pictures from the helicopter which was which eventually were also other pictures which ended up in the book so it's it's just that that sometimes the the, the stories sometimes the story comes to you and mm-hmm. it, it, you cannot you cannot push it and you also have to trust that especially in russia uh something will come come up and that's because my my, my colleague yale he had had he had been a correspondent in uh, for a Dutch newspaper in Russia so he lived there for five years and I have traveled there a lot so we knew that yeah we just had to follow our, our gut feeling and uh, but on the moment wh- when you when you were trying to work and and it and, it, and it's and it's and everybody and it's making it pos- impossible for you to work then you get frustrated frustrated as well of course as you can understand so these moments then then you you, you really know what you that you're working with somebody you 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 know very well and then you know how to respond and because that those are are, uh uh, difficult times Mm -hmm. because you you want to tell the story but you have to find a way uh and eventually luckily because we we found this helicopter pilot we uh, it worked out that we could fly over these these fires and then uh somebody from the netherlands our fixer who who, uh, arranged everything for the for the trip she also uh, arranged that next day we could we could also fly with 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 AVLS, which is the government organization who uh, fights the fires in these remote areas. Mm-hmm. So a day later we were in in a in a plane again flying over the fires and what they actually do in Russia and I've, I'm not sure if they also do this way in in Alaska but in Russia they they drop uh, uh, parachutists from planes with uh, chainsaws and 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 mobile um uh, fire extinguishers and they 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 are actually dropped in the area where the fire is and then they work there for two weeks uh, trying to cut down trees and 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 uh, trying to to contain the fire which is actually i think these people are heroes
1: oh absolutely
0: yeah and and that's that was the story we wanted to tell but but the government, the government organization in Russia did- didn't allow us to make that story. So then you have to be flexible and 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 try to to think of ways of other ways you can tell the story. So, yeah, that that was one of the, the challenge, the challenges we we faced in the, during this
1: project. How would you describe the people you encountered on the on the Borealis project?
0: Yeah, we met uh, very different different kinds of people, but but. what I said before all these uh, especially the people who really live in the forest and and also um, for instance we visited uh, Gennady Tugushin. Uh, he's a a, a logger Uh, he had been working for the for the the wood company the the logging company in Russia for all his life life and uh at the moment he's retired but he's still working for the for the company to 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 raise his income uh during his retirement a, a bit and and that's that's one of the thing things I fi- I find interesting in in the way we 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 are telling the story that it's not a pamphlet against cutting down trees it's it's a it's a story about also um trees and wood is is a, is a valuable and sustainable product so if you if you cut the trees in a good way and 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 replant trees then then it it's a, absolutely no problem so and that and that's what I found interesting in the people living there they 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 used the forest but they, but they also had a, such such a genuine love for the, for the area and for the forest and for instance uh, Gena Gennadi he lived in this wooden house In the middle of the forest for almost all his life Mm -hmm. and uh and i have one picture of his bedroom which i think is so funny that the the wallpaper behind his bed was from a birch forest and that's something i find so 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 funny that you 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 have been living in the forest all your life in the middle of the forest you have a wooden house and then you you go to the shop and you want to buy wallpaper and then you buy wallpaper with 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 a birch forest behind your bed so that and that tells a lot I think about the the love he has for for this area he's he's living in yeah and that a lot of these people also we did a story about uh, the native uh, Cree people in in Canada and there was also such a genuine love they have for their own for their country and their their surroundings and they, they want to take care of it and they they want to protect it they work they work together with Greenpeace to protect one part of the virgin forest they um, which was their trap line where they were uh, uh, their hunting areas and they they wanted to protect this from from the logging companies and so yeah it's like the the, the duality between how you use the wood how you use the forest how you use your environment mm-hmm. and uh, how you also explain it to other people why why it is so important to to keep this 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 area Uh, for instance to to not cut down trees in this area where there's a virgin forest which is very important for wildlife and to to explain to people we have to leave this area alone we don't we otherwise uh, we are ruining it like like lots of these areas have been ruined in uh, the decades uh, before so that's uh, there's always this this duality in the story about about protecting the the area protecting the forest but also using the wood for your for your own uh, purposes and it's it's not a black and white story if you understand what i mean and yeah that, that's that's what i want to 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 explain to people also show them the nuance the nuances in the story and and um uh that there are no no easy answers mm-hmm. it's it's yeah
1: yeah i think most of us live in the gray right Mm. exactly yeah
0: yeah i always find that it's it's there are no easy answers there's there's mm-hmm. the the people in the middle who, do, who don't shout a lot uh aloud, they they are the biggest voice uh usually but they they don't get heard, especially in the media for instance also in the netherlands but also in in, in the us it's mm-hmm. it's always and and that's and now we're talking about forest but it's also with 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 indigenous people I photograph it's always i always try to look for the nuance and try to tell um the story also in this in this nuanced way and there are no easy i don't give any answers maybe i only raise questions but i just want to want to to show people and to and to to so that people think about it themselves how they are what is their position in this story and how can they how can they help in 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 a way or uh, or inform
1: themselves? Mm-hmm. What do you think are the benefits of immersing yourself within a culture rather than just doing an interview or a number of interviews?
0: Yeah, I think for me, it's. I would almost say it's the only way I can I can tell the story if I if I really immerse myself in, in it. And always, there's always limitations. Of course, in in how long I can go to a place, but when I'm there, I always try to really get get to know the people, and 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 um, because I have this responsibility to tell their story, mm-hmm. and uh, I feel this this responsibility to to try to tell the story in the, in the most uh, profound and and uh, uh, honest way I can. Of course, it is always my my story. It's never really their story it's 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 my interpretation of their story yeah it, it, it's important to me that i i try to tell their story in the, in the most profound way i can and and in the most honest way i can and and that was maybe even more important when i was working on my uh, nomad project mm-hmm. but also for this project uh um, yeah, it's 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 really important to me, and it's 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 the way I work, and it's it's the responsibility I have. I think to to the people I uh, who, who let me into their houses and who, who who showed me their culture and who showed me their way of life, and uh, it's my responsibility to tell their story in in uh, in an honest way, and in in. Um, uh, but on the other hand, it's also my story, so there has to be a good balance between between this and you can only tell the story in in this way if you if you if you try to get to know these people and try to get to know what's important to them and 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 why they're doing what they're doing or why they are uh, so that i can also like now we're having this interview and 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 i can also tell their story and it's it's a, it's a, i feel it like a, it's like a responsibility yeah. to tell the story in the, the best way i can
1: the most authentic way
0: the most authentic way, yeah, yeah, exactly.
1: When you go to these places, these destinations for your book, do you call beforehand and arrange things, or do you just show up?
0: Uh, yeah, that depends. Um, <clears throat> I try to do as much research as possible, of course, and but the way I see it, I think depends on the story but usually like 50 60 percent is researched and and then there's another 50 to 40 percent which happens on the spot so yeah and like my my colleague yellow uh, has a nice way of putting it so in, for instance when we went to Norway you don't need to know all these people who are living there which are not a lot of people it was really remote and the most one of the most northern parts of Norway and uh, he said you only have to know one person who knows everybody and if you know this one person then you quickly know get to know all these other people as well mm-hmm. so there's, there's different ways of of, um, of traveling uh, for nomads uh, because for the Anchorage Museum for a big group show. Uh, I also went to the Di- Little Diomede Island in the in the Bering Strait. Mm-hmm. And of course, this was really important because it's such a small community that you that you, you you know these people before and that you get permission to go there, that they know why you are coming and you have to arrange all these things. Uh, so that that's one, one way of, of uh, arranging it. And sometimes you just travel like in Russia when we were doing the story about the fires, yeah the The plans we had didn't work out. So we had to make a new plan. So that's, so you have to be flexible, but you also have to arrange things very well. And, 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 and yeah, it's, it's a combination, I think.
1: Yeah. You know, throughout the Borealis book, there are photos in color and photos in black and white. How do you decide what photos you want shot in color and which ones you want shot in black and white?
0: Yeah, that's, that's a good question. Um, because uh, I photograph uh, analog. So I photograph on film mm-hmm. uh, with a medium medium uh, format camera. So I always have in my in my backpack, I always have a, a, a cassette with a color film and I have a cassette with black and white film. So I actually decide on the spot, is this going to be a black and white photograph or a color photograph. I don't do, I don't change this in post-production, for instance, I always decided on the spot. Mm. Um, and, I have been working this way for quite a long time. Even my graduation project, I also worked in color and black and white. And I like this because it gives me the ability to to tell the story in different layers. Mm -hmm. In my color pictures, I tell other aspects of the story than my black and white. Usually my black and white photographs are photographs of people people living, people working, people traveling, uh, portraits. And in color, I usually photograph the surroundings, like the houses, the the interiors, uh, also sometimes portraits, but also the, the, the landscapes. Those things I usually do in color, but it's not like I have a strict set of rules because you can also see black and white landscapes in my book and you can also see uh, photographs of people in color but uh, it's because I have been doing this for such a long time I have I have a, a, a set of unwritten rules in my head which I which I sort of follow and for nomads for my first book I was more strict I almost didn't photograph people in color I did all my portraits most of my portraits all in black and white mm-hmm. But there's always the exception. There's always the exception you think, okay, this should have been in black and white, but it is a color photograph. And I think it can add to the story. So <laughs> I have these kind of sort of strict rules in my head, but sometimes I also allow myself to to change it. Uh, and that's that's that always happens afterwards because when I photograph, I, I have a... Uh, almost all always I know if I want to take the picture in color or in black and white and usually the photographs I take in color I, I don't take in black and white so I decide okay this is going to be color this is going to be black and white but it's yeah it's 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 a little difficult to explain maybe but yeah uh, for instance I, I, I'm a, I'm a, in the basis I'm a documentary photographer and the documentary work the the reportage work the more journalistic images almost always are in black and white the more n- than the narrative the stories and the more um, uh, photographs uh, yeah you can say that like uh, more um, which are more open to interpretation these are usually in in color so yeah, that's it's it's uh, there is a sort of set of rules in my in my head but it's difficult to explain and I and I don't want to limit myself so I, I always when I'm working I, I go with the flow and I, I I know okay this is black and white this is color and I I don't think about it too much because otherwise I you you get you, you're going to doubt about your own decision so yeah and I, 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 yeah but I, I, I when I'm editing I like I like it that I have I have the choice, the choice to tell the stories the, to tell the story in in different ways, and and in this way I always try to give more depth to the story.
1: Yeah, it seems like it has to do with something that's sometimes hard to define because it's based on a feeling that's been uh, cultivated over time.
0: Yes. Yeah, that that's that's why it's also difficult for me to explain it. But it's um, but for instance, we decided before the project started that I was going to take a photograph of a tree every day, and I call these the boreal trees, and then I give I give them a number. So every day I photographed a tree, and in this tree I wanted to to tell the story of this particular part of the forest or this this particular tree. And I, I wanted to photograph this tree not as a as a landscape photograph but as a portrait of a tree. As an as a sort of an individual. And these photographs, for instance, I always took in color because I wanted to have sort of a, a typology. It it was sort of a typology within the project. Uh, so like a set of photographs which you recognize through the story as, as a sort of anchor points within the story and to also relate the stories I did in Japan to the story I did in, in Canada because I photographed the trees in exactly the same way mm-hmm. and I call it trees but actually I only I, I, I usually I, I mainly photograph the, um, the, uh, the the not the tree itself but the uh, sorry the trunk the trunk yeah the tree trunk exactly because i i work with this camera and i the tree is is very big of course and sometimes i couldn't get enough distance from the tree so i decided to to always focus on the trunk because that's also the base of the tree so you have all these pictures in the book with these tree trunks and sometimes you see something happening in the background or sometimes you see something else happening, but it's, I wanted to make, to really think about it as, as taking a portrait of a tree. Mm -hmm. If you, if you understand it. Yeah.
1: So what do you think are some of the most important things you learned during the Borealis project?
0: Um, one of the most important things about the projects, and that was also one of the reasons why we started it is, is that it's such a, a huge, And such an important area which is at least in the place where I live is fairly unknown because all the all the attention when you talk about forests usually goes to the Amazon and to the rainforest which of course are also very important but also these these boreal forests they are even bigger and and even in in carbon storage they are also bigger they are the biggest carbon sink in the world on land Uh, so that's one aspect which we we knew before we started the project that that was going to be one of the main uh one of the most urgent aspects why we why we wanted to do this project but working on the project i, I realized that it the story is about all these different values of trees so you have, to, you have the, the ecological value, you have the, the, the art, artistic value, you have the economic value. There's all these different values of these forests and trees, which are all, you can say, important in their way. And we have to find a way to, to, to maintain the way in which we use these forests in a way that it's, it is sustainable and, uh, so that these forests remain and keep yeah because at least here in in uh, in europe and and in the netherlands there is there is this this urgent feeling that and that's a good thing i think that that climate change is happening and it's, mm-hmm. it's it's happening and we need we need these these forests and these trees to 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 filter out this the carbon in the in the atmosphere um so that's that's why i think also that the project is it's coming at the right time and that because there is this this feeling at least when I think positively about it of course there's also the negative side that there's a lot of people who don't who still say there's no climate change and but yeah you always have these 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 uh, uh, voices as well so you have to you have to deal with that as well but I, I see um, there's uh, within the young the, the, the youth and the young people that there's this this urgent feeling that that we need to protect this, these areas, and that's why we wanted to make this document to show all these different aspects and uh, um, to help people also in defining why 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 they think it's important, or uh, because I know why I think it's important, but you want to. You want other people to think about it as well. That that's that's what I want to do as a, as an artist or as a, as a documentary photographer, to raise these questions and so that people realize it and and don't take it for granted. Because when I walked in the forest uh, when I was young, of course I, I I liked it and I found it was a beautiful place, but I never really thought about it. I took it for granted and when when you work on a project for, for a long time and you you talk with all these different people then you really um realize that it's we, we need to take this very seriously and 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 protect these area, these important areas mm-hmm. uh, um, yeah so that's that's uh one of the uh, the most important things about the project i think and i hope of course i hope that that people will relate to this when they see the work
1: For more information about the Anchorage Museum, visit anchoragemuseum.org. This podcast was written, hosted, and produced by me, Cody Liska, for the Anchorage Museum. With additional help from Julie Decker. Music was produced by Keezy Baby.